0: Welcome to the FFGF Podcast. We are a church located in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Our mission is to know God and to make Him known. We pray this message blesses you today. If you'd like more information about our ministry or how to partner with us, visit us at fredfulgospel.com. Thanks for listening. This is Pentecost Sunday, and I want to just mention that Pentecost Sunday is a celebration. It's a Thanksgiving time. And so many of us, perhaps, some of these things are not as uh, maybe familiar with us. And maybe sometimes uh, those newer in the faith have a little hard time wading through the Old Testament. I can understand that. And so I just thought I would explain a Pentecost and especially go back to the Old Testament uh, rendition and, and passages of Pentecost and just to underline what it is so we all have a real understanding of it. And then today, of course, we want to understand the New Testament fulfillment. I said in the first service, and I'm going to say again, my pastor used to say that the Old Testament or the New Testament is in the old concealed and the old is in the new revealed. There are two parts to one whole. God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. However, he worked differently in the Old Testament than in the New Testament. The Old Testament is more of a natural setting. You had a Jerusalem that had natural borders. To become a part of the kingdom of God, all you had to do was to be born again into a Jewish family, correct? And then you had to endeavor to obey the Mosaic law, and that was very, very common. But in this generation, you don't have to be born into a certain family. You need to be born again. You are a citizen of heaven by a work of the Holy Spirit. You are in the kingdom just like the Jews were in the kingdom. And the Old Testament people had to obey the Mosaic law. And yet no one could keep the law. So what really saved them? Faith in the sacrifices, which were a type of Christ. See, none of us could keep the law perfectly. But the Old Testament people didn't have the availability that you have and I have today. And I just want to tell you one of the things God did in Pentecost is he came on the inside where the problem is. You see, table of stones and the law written on those stones couldn't change me. But we're going to see that on this very day, God gave his law On Mount Sinai to Moses. And we celebrate that God has given us his law. Not on tables of stone. But it says he writes them on our hearts. And he gives us power to do them. And so the Holy Ghost gives you overcoming power. Paul says that so beautifully. When he says that what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh or the natural, but walk after the spirit. And so the spirit does so many great things. So let me just read to you a little bit about the Feast of Pentecost. It says the Feast of Pentecost is one of Israel's three major agricultural festivals and the second great feast of the Jewish year. Shavat, which is Pentecost, is one of the three pilgrimage feasts that all the Jewish males were required to appear before the Lord in Jerusalem. The Feast of Weeks, which is another name for the Feast of Pentecost, is a harvest festival. a harvest festival celebrated in May or June all right and so it's right around this time of course we celebrated today the name feast of weeks was given because god commanded the Jew- jews in uh, leviticus 15 to count seven full weeks or 49 days beginning at the second day of pentecost and then pre- present an offering of new grain to the lord as a lasting ordinance the term Pentecost derives from the Greek word meaning 50, all right? Jews believe that it was precisely at this time that God gave the Torah to the people through Moses on Mount Sinai. And so this was a wonderful, wonderful feast. Now, it mentions that there's information about this on Leviticus 23. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 23, and we're just going to look at what the Bible says Uh, they were required to do on this feast day, all right? And now you're not required to do it exactly this way, but it has a real correlation, and you'll see it as we go through it, all right? So I'm going to begin reading Leviticus 23. It will be up on the screen, but I'm going to read verse 10, 11, and 12 first of all, all right? And it says, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When you come into the land which I give you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then shall you bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you. On the morrow after the Sabbath the priest shall wave it. And ye shall offer that day when ye wave the sheaf a lamb without blemish of the first year for a burnt offering unto the Lord. I just want to stop there and comment on it. Now, here we have seeds sown into the ground. After the seed dies, it brings forth fruit. And then after these 50 days, they were to take that sheaf, and they were to wave it before the Lord. We're going to hear later that it's actually a wave offering. A wave offering is a thanksgiving offering. It's a praise offering. Folks, if there's anyone who should give praise offerings, hallelujah. Praise God. If there's anyone who should shout and jump, if there's anyone who should rejoice, it's those of us who have received his born-again experience and know Jesus and are filled with his spirit. In fact, praise comes with experience. Actually, in Hebrews, it says by him, therefore, offer the sacrifice of praise. I never quite understood that, but you can't praise him without a revelation of how he is. And when he reveals himself to you, you can't help but praise him. Are you with me. Someone say amen. Encourage me now. I'm speaking the truth to you. Anyhow, praise God. And so this celebration of Pentecost we're going to see is filled with praise and filled with wave offerings to the Lord. But there's another thing that happens here. It says not only were we to wave that sheaf, it says that we were to sacrifice the Jewish people, a lamb without blemish, and of course that always refers to Christ's sinlessness, right? Thank God he didn't sin. That's why he could win the victory for us. And it says of the first year, For a burnt offering unto the Lord. Now that's an interesting thing. Burnt offering is very much different than a wave offering or a peace offering. We're going to go through these this morning. A wave, I should say a burnt offering is total commitment to God. The whole animal was burnt on the altar. We used to sing a song, maybe you remember it. Is Is you're all on the altar of sacrifice slain? Does your heart, the spirit control? You know, sometimes, folks, we hold back some things in our lives. And how many know what you hold back, the enemy will grab? The best way to live this Christian life is to be holy on the altar and fully given. That's the burnt sacrifice. It was a natural thing in the Old Testament. It's a spiritual thing today. You've got to give your all to Jesus. Hallelujah. Lock the door. and let him out. Okay, I'm going to read verse 15, 16, and 17. It says, and ye shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that ye brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. That's 49 days. All right? And then it says, even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall ye number 50 days, which is Pentecost, And ye shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. All right, I want to read verse 17. And ye shall bring out of your habitations two wave loaves of two tenths deals. They shall be of fine flour, and they shall be bacon with leaven. They are the first fruits unto the Lord. Now I'm going to read verse 19. You can read it with me if you like. It says, then ye shall sacrifice one kid of the goats for a sin offering and two lambs of the first year for a sacrifice of peace offering. So what is the sin offering? What is the peace offering? We already know what the whole burnt offering is and the wave offering. But what is a sin offering? Now it's a trespass offering. A trespass offering is when you willfully sin. You know, sometimes you just know you shouldn't do something And you do it. Those are bad. That's a trespass offering. But there's a sin offering. A sin offering atones for my state of sinfulness. How many know as good as you are. And as good as I am. And as good as Sister Donna is. That we all have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. How many know that we can't dig around. And try to confess every sin. Because we'll probably confess a hundred. And miss five hundred. Because I'm a sinner. I don't sin. I'm not a sinner because I sin. I sin because I'm a sinner. You get that? It's in me. It's human nature. But thank God. God in his mercy. He even atoned for that. And you are justified by the faith. You have peace with God because you are justified by faith. In believing in Jesus, that blood of Jesus is not only forgiven all your past, all your trespasses, but actually your state of sinfulness is covered by the blood so you can have communion with God. Now let me tell you something else. A peace offering is totally different than the rest of it. You know what the peace offering is? The peace offering brings you into fellowship. Oh, praise God. I'd like to take off right now. They didn't take this mic out of my way. I'd like to really go. Pay. The peace offering, because of the blood and Jesus doesn't see my sin. I never forget as a young man. Don't ask me what I did. I was a Christian two years or so and I did something. I felt I displeased the Lord and I'm praying and I'm twirling around. And the Holy Ghost speaks to me. You might think I'm crazy. I've been called worse. And the Lord says to me, I cannot see your sin, but I see the desires of your heart and I want to meet every one of them. Do you know God's love is so great? That he knew the only remedy was to atone for you so he could have fellowship with you. In the peace offering, he gives you his presence. How many are thankful for the presence of God? Praise God. Isn't this a wonderful salvation that Jesus Christ and God has arranged for us? And thank God, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. So all this was done on the day of Pentecost. But I want to remind you that one of the names of Pentecost was Feast of Harvest. My sermon today is entitled, You Are the Harvest. I'm going to explain that to you. And so to have a harvest, what do you have to do first? You have to plant. You have to sow seed. When does that seed begin to grow? After it's planted, go a little further. Has to be watered, that's important. I've been I planted some boxwoods and I've been watering. It has to die. Who said that? Oh no well, such a student. It has to die. It cannot bring forth fruit until it dies. So there's a principle God has put in very this very earth that we live in. Nothing comes forth until it dies. There's no resurrection without a death. I told the story this morning in the earlier service of when I went to Pilgrim Camp. And Pilgrim Camp was real country. I mean to live in Pilgrim Camp in upstate Adirondack Park. You had, had a truck, a gun, a dog in a chainsaw, without any question, you had to have it and for 10 years I lived there and boy did I love it, that's what I'd choose but I'm still a city boy in another environment and we have this man, his name is Brother Myers and he was a tremendous gardener and he would have these boxes and during the winter he put these bulbs in there and he would make that camp so beautiful by the spring oh people would come in and just their jaws would drop at the beauty, but there was something he had to do he'd plant these bulbs well of course I had to go through there all the time because I was working helping others manage the camp and so every once in a while I would go to the box and I would put up the bulb to take a peek at it now you're never supposed to do that once you plant things you got to keep them planted right but I'm a city boy and I'm wondering what's happened and just before the spring I pull up one of these bulbs and it's black and it's corroded And it's cracked. And out of that comes a shoot. Life came out of death. And then, in a little while... The shoot began to grow up and they became begonias about that big that just lined the entrance of camp and people would be amazed. I just want to tell you there's a principle in the word of God that's so important. So to have that natural Pentecost, seeds had to be planted and the harvest would come forth and then the Jewish people would reap that harvest and they would make big loaves of Italian bread and they would take them and wave them before the Lord as a way of offering. Thanking God that through the fruit of the field they could live. They could have bread. They could have sustenance. And they knew everything comes from God so they'd worship him. So how in the world does this apply to us? How is that at all connected with you and me today? It's very much connected. And I'd like to just share that with you. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you bring your Bibles, iPhones are no substitute for this book. Amen. All right, that's just by the by. Lock the door. All right, turn with me to uh, John chapter 24. And there's a group of Greeks that want to see Jesus. And Jesus says this. Now, this is John, the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verse 23 and 24. Very, very important verses, all right? And so I'd like to read them with you, all right? It says, and Jesus answered them, saying, the hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Who knows what Jesus means when he talks about himself being glorified? Who knows? Talking about his death. Yeah, it was actually a voice from heaven and saying, I've glorified thy name. The father speaks to him and I will glorify it again. And it says in the Bible, this spake God about how Jesus would die. Jesus looked at his death as being his being glorified because he knew what would be the result of it. But look what he says then, verse 24, very important, read it with me. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone, but if it die, it will bring forth much fruit. Oh, we have a corn of wheat, it's not natural seed. It's not that kind of thing that we put in the ground, but Jesus speaking about his life, he calls himself a corn of wheat that will be placed into the ground and die. And if I die, I will not abide alone, but I will bring forth much fruit. So this natural Pentecost was a natural working out of something God's doing in the spirit today. And you've got to understand, first, that is natural. Second, that is spiritual. That's why Ishmael was rejected and Isaac was accepted. That's why Esau was rejected and Jacob was accepted. Because God is always after teaching us that the Old Testament was a picture. I've one time given this illustration as a picture. Pictures are good. Just say you have a loved one in Afghanistan in harm's way. And you haven't heard from them. And you're really missing them. And all of a sudden you get a picture. A piece of mail comes. You open it up. And there's your loved one. And they're healthy. And they look so, so good in the uniform. You don't throw that away, do you? You put it on your night table. You put it on your refrigerator. And you thank God for a picture. Pictures are great. But the day comes that the doorbell rings. And you open up that door. And there's your loved one. And you embrace them. The Old Testament's a picture. The New Testament is the reality. We have something that Eyes cannot see, nor ears heard. Neither have they entered into the heart of man, the things that God hath prepared for us who love him. Praise God. The New Testament is the fulfillment of what God wanted. Israel was a perfect picture. Everything they did was right. The tabernacle was right. The sacrifices are right. But they were all pointing to the day. They were all a picture of this salvation we enjoy. Jesus who we enjoy. There's no reason to go back. I celebrate the feasts. But not in the letter. In their fulfillment. I don't need the law. I need Jesus. To fulfill that law. By his Holy Spirit. That's very important we understand that. Well. I just want to talk a little bit about his death. And uh, that might be odd on Pentecost Sunday, but it has a purpose, so bear with me. I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. And we're going to read verse 37, 38, and 39. All right, Mark 15. And in Mark 15... We have this said, verse 37. It says, actually 37, yes. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. Now, we know one of the things he cried is, you know. Why don't you say it with me? It is finished. And it says that he cried this out with a loud voice. Look what happens. It says, the veil of the temple, verse 38, was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, which was a miracle. Now, there's a centurion standing here. He's not only seeing these things happen. He probably wasn't aware of what happened in the temple. But he's seeing the darkness. He's recognizing that there was an earthquake. It says in another place that when Jesus died, many of the saints that slept in Jerusalem were raised from the dead and came into the holy city. We don't think of that often. But just think of this picture. Darkness over the whole land. Earthquake. The veil of the temple is rent in twain. Dead bodies are being raised from the dead. Doesn't sound like a defeated death. Doesn't sound like nothing's happening. And then Jesus is at his very last. He's in a weakened state. He's just about to expire. And he raises his voice. In a loud voice. And he cries, it is finished. Now look at what this centurion says. He was a wise man. When the centurion which stood over him saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly, this was the Son of God. You see, it wasn't possible for Jesus to have that strength then. But I believe his life was beginning to come into that new life. He was beginning to enjoy already coming out of this natural body in his victory. And he declared that it was finished. Now, folks, he wasn't saying, well... I suffered, and now it's over. I did my three years of work on the earth, and now it's finished. No, he wasn't saying that. What he was saying, that what he came to do was accomplished. He cried a great cry of victory. Hallelujah. And so when he cried victory, he purchased victory over sin. Can you say amen? He's victorious to give salvation to all that believe. Amen. He gave us sickness, victory over sickness and disease. He gave victory over Satan. I believe it was at that point that he crushed the head of the enemy's power. And now we have deliverance, freedom, healing, salvation, and the fullness of the Holy Ghost. That's what Pentecost is all about. Now you know there was a waiting period. And I can imagine the enemy thought, oh, we have him. We crucified this Jesus. But I want to remind you, the only place that sin has a right is when there, excuse me, Satan has a right is when there's transgression or sin. Jesus did no sin. And so it was not possible that death could lay hold on him. So he didn't stay in that grave. He broke the power of that grave. I'd like to see the look on Satan's face when he recognized he overplayed his hand, that he only understands a little bit, but God understands all, and he won an everlasting victory for everyone in this house. All right, I want to read a little bit more from the Gospels about this victory. Actually, the book of Acts. You know, the book of Acts chapter 2 is the sermon Peter preaches, right? And we're all familiar with most of it. But some of this is really special. You remember Peter was kind of a wimp a little bit? Good heart. And God saw it. But somehow he didn't have all that he thought he had. Do you know the Holy Ghost will give you what you don't got? He'll give you what you need to be victorious. So he preaches this sermon. In verse 22, this is Acts 2. He says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you as ye yourselves know. Verse 23. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Doesn't seem like he is uh, the same Peter. But he tells them right out. You took him, you slew him, you did it by wicked hands. Look at verse 24, very important. Read it with me if you have it. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that it should be holden He should be holden of it. Death could not hold Jesus. Because he did no sin. And yet he had to be that corn of wheat that fell into the ground and died. Verse 32. This Jesus has God raised up whereof we are all witnesses. Now folks, this is my point. Verse 33 is one of the most powerful verses. It was just kind of made so real to me in these past months when we went through Easter. Look at 33. Therefore, therefore, because of his death and resurrection, therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he has shed forth this which you now see and hear. What does that mean? It means this. That the culmination, the purpose of that corn of wheat sown into the ground in Jesus dying and the purpose of his victory is that he would pour out his spirit upon his people and that there would be a fullness given to the church of Jesus Christ. I'd like to say it this way. On the day of Pentecost, because of Jesus' faithfulness in gospel, the seed was sown and died. And God takes out his mighty reaping instrument. And he reaps from the earth. The first crew, the 120, they're all filled with the Holy Ghost. They go out and transform the world without Instagram, without Facebook, without all of these things we depend on. The power of the Holy Ghost put the fear of God around them. Men and women were sick. Wine dyes were open. Churches were installed. People were filled with the Holy Ghost. Folks, we don't need technology. We need transformation. We need the Holy Ghost to move. And I ain't backing down. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, in conclusion, first Pentecost seed sown, bread, rejoicing, and praise. Second Pentecost, or the fulfillment of it. Our son of God came down from earth. The perfect man. And he laid down his life for every one of you in this room. And he died. And when you come to him you receive salvation. And we believe as spiritual believers, and I'm convinced of this, there's a second definite work of grace where he fills you with his Holy Spirit. And we become that harvest in the earth. And we give him back a praise offering. We give him back, you know, not with natural bread and not with something natural like wheat, but from our hearts. Hallelujah. You with me? With our hands. Praise God. If you feel to lift him up. Hallelujah. And we give praise unto God because we are the result of his death and resurrection. We are the fruit of the earth and we belong to him and we praise him with all our hearts for his victory that he has purchased for us. Remember, salvation isn't because we're good, because we're church members and we try hard and we believe he's up there somewhere. Salvation is a miracle that takes place in our hearts where we come out of death and we come into life and we become the first fruits back to God and we give Him praise. How many would like to praise Him today? Why don't you stand with me? Praise God. Praise God. Why don't you thank Him? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah for your victory, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. Praise the name of the Lord. Now John Gordon's going to lead us in sung songs of praise. All right, I think he's going to begin with "I Exalt Thee." We all know that one, so let's exalt Him. If you're thankful, you're saved. Hallelujah.